Welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Hey, Paul, how's your week been? My week has been pretty good. Um, someone at Microsoft, I know you don't care about the SDK anymore, but they actually solicited and then accepted <laughs> a PR of mine in the SDK. So when it breaks, you know who to blame. <laughs> <laughs> who was it? I don't. There's quite a few people in the team now. I'm interested to see who merged that one. Uh, well, uh I it was the SD the SDK one. So it was either Michael or Vincent. Yeah, so Vincent's been really active in a bunch of them, and I know Devere, the engineering manager, has been doing stuff there too. That's good. Well, thank you for your contribution. <laughs> you can put that against your MVP uh, recognition, right? Uh, I suppose if I remember to put it on the form at the end of the year. <laughs> <laughs> That wonderful form. I do not miss that. I can imagine. I, although I guess we have the internal equivalent with our Connect system. So it's the same deal, right? Yeah. Um, so it's been busy. I think there's a lot of engineering teams that are trying to get stuff out before the holiday season. I was joking with my team, basically saying, like, we've literally got two working weeks left uh, before everyone starts disappearing in Redmond and taking leave. And I think there's a lot of people that have just, like, not taken leave during the year and you, you know, either use it or lose it come January 1st. So have you taken, are you taken much? I have some that I still need to take. So uh, the next couple of weeks, some are short weeks for me. And then uh, yeah. I won't be working between the holidays, but the whole, the whole company closes for the last two weeks. But so, yeah, I need to catch up. I, I didn't use it. So, but yeah, when you work from home, it's kind of hard to, uh, yeah, I couldn't go anywhere. Right. Normally I would use my vacation time to go somewhere and I couldn't go anywhere. Well, so you use it or lose it. Yeah. Well, right, it would be you know, go to a conference and take the time or whatever, or, or go to the office in London and spend extra time goofing off. <laughs> yeah, I've seen the tweets around, like, describe 2020 in one word, and, like, I will not repeat any of the tweets that <laughs> we're quoting and suggesting words for it. So there's a, there's a promotion on Radio Margaritaville that says, 2020, written by Stephen King, directed by Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> <laughs> but at least the soundtrack is Jimmy Buffett, so we're all <laughs> good. <laughs> okay, that's pretty good. So, um, yeah, in terms of engineering teams kicking and kicking goals, I think we mentioned this last week, and we were trying to work out what the context of us mentioning last week because the blog post actually only came out on the December second, so two days afterwards we're recording this. But the Microsoft Search Query APIs are now genuinely available. So, um, Nicholas Moreau, who's been on the show before a while ago now, I guess, um, talking about these search APIs. They're now GA'd. So there's been a lot of interest in this because today with the graph and with our legacy APIs, you would have to like go to the SharePoint search APIs to call a query on SharePoint and then go to the Exchange APIs, Outlet REST APIs to query Exchange. And now this endpoint is kind of, you know, doing what the graph does well, which is unifying the same approach to search across like multiple different entities, which is really, really neat. Have you looked at this at all? I have not. Uh, it is on the to-do list, but no, I have not yet done that. I, I've always been under-impressed or underwhelmed with the Teams yeah, search yeah. just because it seems kind of crazy and, and scanning through the the stuff here, I don't necessarily see Teams notifications in this list is here. Um, I have, Like I said, I haven't had a, a compelling need to try it just yet, but it certainly will. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to aggregate content and do stuff with it. It is interesting because there's a variety of different ways you can do it and the different entity types are supported, whether it's mail messages or events or files or, um, you know, list items and sites. 
And even obviously with the show we did last week with Raju, the graph connectors can all like the information that you ingest in through graph connectors comes through it. But I know there's a lot of asks around other entities to be in there like teams. And I know that's what Nicholas is going to be working on for the next next wee while. Uh, but I will say from a team's perspective, there's some dog fooding stuff coming through for the client I'm using that makes search way better in teams because it was super frustrating how it works in what I would guess is what the public clients have right now. Yes, it is it's super frustrating. <laughs> so, yeah, and I've seen some screenshots on that stuff. So I certainly looking forward to uh, the improvement there. Uh, another thing, item uh, feedback for your well, the, the team who's probably not listening, but the none of the entity types are <laughs> they listen. Nicholas actually listens to the show. Okay, so. Nicholas, so uh, go find the tasks planner <laughs> to do team, and if I'm going to search for stuff, um, oh yeah, get that's that right, in there. totally makes sense. Yeah, so Nick's got that on his thing. So obviously the core entities he's started with are the ones that are the most popular APIs we have on the graph. And then now he's got a, you know, the next wave of entities he needs to get on there. Obviously Teams is going to be a big one there for sure. And then Teams that incorporates Planner for sure, right? I mean, there's a whole Tasks UI in there. In the last couple of weeks, I've been working on a solution that's doing search against SharePoint to get like page views and all kinds of relative and relevant information right. there. So I'd be curious to see how, if or how that surfaced through the search API. So I will certainly put that on my list of things to go kick the tires on. So, yeah. And then talking of teams, the public preview, so beta endpoint of the graph has the Microsoft teams activity feed API. And we were just talking about this offline of like, Oh boy, what you know, this, this could become pretty noisy pretty quickly. Like I use this, the activity feed for me as my inbox in the morning. And, you know, I, I am pretty strict on which channels within which teams I'm a member of, or a member of like 200 teams will show up in my activity feed. And that's how I make sure I don't miss anything going on in the, you know, the different channels, like the fellowship of the graph, which is our tap and our internal fill way we communicate with the field about the graph and things like that. But um, this is allowing you to post your own things to the activity feed. And then obviously, you know, designating what you click on, where, what happens on the right-hand side of the Teams client. What do you think of this? So I, I have two thoughts. One, as a developer, excellent, perfect. This is what I want. The If I think back to when Teams first came out and I was espousing to developers, you know, this is where you have a collection of humans who use your application. And if you need to get information in front of those humans, Teams is a great way to do that. I can get hyper context sensitive data to users. So alerting them that something's happening is really good. But as an end user, I certainly don't want every app in the world sending me a notification and flooding my activity feed. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there is, and I don't, I don't have a link to it, and I just thought of it right now, I know that you can do different, grant, different settings of notifications by team or by I mean, what things to show up in your in your feed, right? There's there's a way to customize yeah. a certain team or certain channel, whether it can or cannot show up in the activity feed. And if it does, does it does everything or just direct replies? So, so it, it's I'm hoping that they respect. I would assume they would respect the the settings in that notification. So yeah. under your channel notifications and your profile notifications and so on. So you know it makes sense. Uh, sometimes you really need to get alert people, and this is how you do it. So. Yeah, I guess the other thing, like I, I actually don't use my Windows notifications at all. Like I don't have anything configured as in that bar, what you can click on in the bottom right to show up. And I know like the Mac has not done a great job of this until the most recent Mac OS where they've kind of allowing developers to post into activity feeds either. Like every application did their own like Toast's uh, UI. But I guess Teams being across my phone, my tablet, 
which are iOS, and then in Windows with my main workstation, it is beneficial for a developer to be able to get to you wherever you are, right? And it's going to mark it as red if I'm on my iPhone and then I come back to my Windows machine, it's going to show that I've already checked this activity out. But it does worry me in terms of, you know, if every partner starts letting you know every time they've done, like created an object in a system, it will get pretty, pretty gnarly. So what I'm inferring based on that paragraph you just spoke is that dog food is going to fix the notification icons on mobile devices so that it's extra accurate. And I'm hoping that the notification toast doesn't block the chat yeah. window where you're trying to type in a chat response to while you're in a meeting. So a couple of those things really frustrate the heck out of me. So that's that's kind of my end user. Please don't send me lots of notifications. Yeah, I mean, I mean these things enough where I don't need a lot of notifications, either, which is probably a bad thing. But yeah, that's that's the world we live in. Right. Uh, we mentioned him pretty much every show and he's internal now. Waldeck Mazdakar, or Wald- I, should, I need to stick with Waldemar because it just sounds way better. <laughs> Waldemar Mazdakars, what's you found this one? What's this one about? So the when you write a, an app for Microsoft Teams, you can instruct or well, a user can pin that to the very left hand rail. Yeah. So you have activity, chat, Teams, calendar, and personal or apps can be added to that rail. And there is a capability that once it's been installed in that right hand or left hand rail, you can get an on click event. So the first, you know, almost like when when it's launched type of thing. So oh, yeah. instead of it just navigating to the, the page of your app, you can actually get that event. And so um while that goes through talking about how to configure that manifest and then some uh, uh, caveats about what's happening there and uh, fancy animated gifts. Yeah. He's up to his game now that, you know, he's probably got, you know, resources behind him. Oh yeah. Oh, how far he's come. It's a really cool thing. I I like it. Yeah. Yeah. It certainly is. It, 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 uh, it certainly, again, the caveat is the very first time it won't happen, but then once, uh, once it's installed and you can get that event handler, you're good to go, which kind of makes sense, right? You're in, you're in a browser in, in effect, electrons like a browser. So it's really pretty cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Marcus Moller, who you had on the show and we've mentioned his book a few times. This is like an extension of that stuff he was showing before, right? With the PDF conversion stuff. Yes. Uh, when we, when we talked about it last time, he had written an SPFX web part. And this blog post is doing this inside of Teams. He ran Yo Teams to generate a Teams app and was doing the same process. And so he talks about, you know, so if you if you have written code that works in SPFX and you want to go to Teams, granted, you may not need to write a PDF conversion, but at least he talks through about how he's using the same, the same uh, tool chain, if you will. He's using React and Node and all that kind of stuff that he did in SPFX to also do it in Teams. So I wanted to at least get that in front of folks. To, yeah, it's uh, clever. Another, another sample. Of- yeah, it's very clever. I, uh, you know, obviously, undersung hero of the graph is the PDF conversion capability right there out of the box. <laughs> has to, yeah. The file has to be in OneDrive or SharePoint, but I mean, it's still pretty neat that it will do that conversion yeah. like that. Absolutely. Um, many scenarios I've had to go convince customers to go buy licensed products to do that when it's right there out of the box for you as an M365 customer, which is cool. And then one last one, because, you know, finishing with smiley, happy Daryl Miller, he's been on the On.net show um, talking about the SDKs for Microsoft Graph. And he went on with Christoph Maskers. Um, and actually, we haven't had him on the show, have we? Yeah. Oh, yes, we did. Yeah. When, uh, when, when, Christos when? and John were both oh, on that's right. a while back. I had the, the so Christos is the, the one of the authors of the Microsoft.identity.web 
well, I don't know if he wrote it, but he certainly yeah. evangelizes it. Yeah. And so I talked to them about that. And so he, them, right. since, since he was on our show, Chris Dawson and, and uh, John have uh, got their own you know, show that they do. They do uh, Twitch or something like that, plus this on that, that thing. So, yeah, it was great. Yeah. To, yeah, so there's two videos here, about 20 minutes in length each, um, that goes through all the SDK stuff. So if you haven't kind of plugged into what we're doing with our SDKs. Um, Daryl is our architect for all that. Um, and, you know, he's really transformed how we do SDKs within the Microsoft Graph in the last two and a half years. And so those shows are really good because he gives a lot of context and added flavor around those things. And so if you're looking to do anything with the Graph and you're a .NET dev, I'd highly recommend you checking those things out because, you know, it's all auto updated as new API endpoints come on the Graph and ships as new packages and, um, you know, we, the auth story is super clean now when you think about how things were three years ago. So um, definitely go check that out. Yeah. So interesting story about that, because why not? I can waste your time. Daryl talked about <laughs> the, um, the, and the second one, the customizing the SDKs. He does a bunch of different uh, middleware things. And I was thinking, that looks familiar. And sure enough, uh, he posted that code in his GitHub repo called MVP Summit from two years ago. So this stuff has been as slick as, as, slick as it is now. It's been this way for years and just no one knew about it. So I'm really glad that Christos had Daryl on that he could cover all this stuff and talk through all the different things. And and customizing the SDKs with the middleware is a ton of what I do. In fact, that yeah. that, that PR we're talking about kind of helped fit that, you know, what I submitted a PR for was to help with the custom middleware working is some of the built-in stuff. So it's really pretty slick. Um, I got great ideas I want to put into the community library for it as well. And thanks, Daryl, for hopping on and reminding me about all this. And it makes me makes me miss being uh, in, a, in a bar together chatting because we always had great talks about stuff. Yeah, I think everyone's kind of really starting to miss that water yeah. cooler event type thing going on, right? Where you just don't get that. It's just not the same. In actual fact, um, at Ignite 2019, talking about events, and I'm going to put this in the show notes, there was a session we did on the um, what we called the, the Chaos uh, Giraffe, which officially is the Chaos Handlers. Um, and that was all about kind of simulating load. So this notion of we get asked a lot, hey, look, we want more users and we want to be able to put more in our developer tenants to like really test that like our compliance product can work at scale with you know 50,000 users and terabytes and terabytes of data so we can test whether our product works correctly but with these chaos handlers um, you have the ability to simulate it and you can simulate 429s rather than having to like really hammer our services for rules. <laughs> um, and so there's a video that we did from Ignite 2019, which went missing when Ignite 2020 came out. Um, and we actually pushed really hard on the events team and they've republished the 2019 videos um, because they're still relevant and still up to date. So I'll put that link in the show notes so that people can go check. Oh yeah, that'd be, that'd be great. It was me and Peter Chukowski who who left actually, unfortunately, Microsoft to go over somewhere else. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a really good um, show. Well, I mean, I spoke in it because it was good. <laughs> yeah, top notch, no it doubt. It was good yeah. because <laughs> P P Peter went into a, a lot of depth on the simulation aspect of it. And uh, we got a lot of great feedback from ISVs. So um, yeah, definitely check that one out. And so who do we have on the show this week? Well, so 
you know, Daryl is one of those folks where you see them at a conference and you think, and I'm never, ever going to ask a question of this guy because I'm so stupid and he's so smart. Well, this this week's guest is another one of the folks just like Daryl and Jeremy where they're so smart and I was a bit intimidated. So we've talked a little bit about, about the fluid framework. Well, one of the guys who wrote it, Kurt Berglund, was, has been blogging about it. And I think we've linked to some of his blogs. And so on a whim, I reached out on Twitter and said, Hey, you want to come on the show? And he was super gracious and real nice, uh, real nice to talk to and, and not quite intimidating as I had feared. So thanks to Kurt for coming on the show. And, and originally I said, let's talk about fluid, but then it has occurred to me, you know, we've had a couple shows, Dan Marlene's talked about fluid. We had uh, uh, Sam Bronner on uh, talk about fluid as well. So I took the conversation more into the depths about distributed systems and why why developers would want to use them and, and stuff like that. And so Kurt was very gracious and, and provided a lot of insights on that. So I hope that you all find that helpful and off we go, right? Yeah, that's great. Awesome. Well, have a good week, mate, and um, speak to you next time. All right. This week on the podcast, I'm delighted to welcome Kurt Berglund. Welcome, Kurt. Hey, how's it going? Uh, the, your name it probably is a little familiar to folks, our, our listeners, because we've mentioned your blog posts in the past, but uh, you're not in our typical circle of uh, SharePoint guys. So why don't we start with uh, an introduction? Who are you, Kurt? What do you do? Well, hey, well nice to meet everybody. Um, yeah, it's, it's great if people have read the blog post too, but uh, I guess I'm an engineer. I, I helped start the Fluid Framework and so wrote a lot of that code and so know quite a bit about it. And then uh, now I'm doing kind of AI and ML at a local Seattle startup called HighSpot. Excellent. And so if you've written the code, then I guess we have you to thank for the wonderful names. What is it? Um, Maxalicious or Dunkalicious? I can't remember what the, well, what the name was. Yeah, of my there's Routerlicious <laughs> and Tinylicious. And then inside of that, there we've you. got things like Alfred and Broadcaster and uh, Scriptorium, all sorts of fun things. I will take full credit for those names. <laughs> excellent. Well, maybe not all of them, some of them. Some of them, excellent. So obviously, our show this week is talking. Initially, I said, let's talk about the fluid framework, but we've had a, f- a few guests on in the past. But uh, as you said, you started it. So I want to pivot a little bit and talk maybe about the architecture of what Fluid is and distributed systems in general. And so let's start there. What? How would you describe Fluid Framework and why was it built? Yeah, I think, you know, Fluid Framework was built, gosh, it would have been almost, we started probably almost four years ago and kind of looking at problems that Office was having and then ways to solve it. And then really starting from kind of a, a, a solid architectural first principles perspective. And we knew we kind of wanted to solve two things. One was we, we wanted something that was just lightning fast, buttery smooth, all of that good stuff. And then we also really wanted to, uh, we called it leverage the client. So we wanted to move a lot of the heavy lifting you know, out of the cloud, push it to the clients, let everybody make use of the amazing machines they have. But because it was performing, you know, no matter how fast or, or slow those machines were, it would still perform great. And so we kind of started um, from there. And another thing we really wanted to build too was just kind of a component model for the web. That was almost the the bigger thing we were we were going for initially. And so when we started, we were kind of looking at the distributed systems algorithms for eventual consistency. We looked at operational transform. We looked at CRDTs, and uh, you know they're great. They're in widespread use. But we we kind of just noticed some things that we thought we could do better. And then that kind of led us down this path of of finding kind of a new novel way to do a bunch of these things that gave just really great performance. And you know it's kind of what you see now today in the open source project of the Fluid Framework. 
So that's kind of where you know, kind of where we started from. Yeah. Okay. And and so the you've mentioned com- components and and making things smooth. And and I'd like to draw a distinction based on what I've seen. And now, granted, it's been a, a while back since I've seen it. The, it. It was it was me writing UI components and having it talk to the system on the back end. Is that kind of the target of what you're thinking we're trying to accomplish, or is there more that I'm missing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a lot of that. I mean, you kind of see on the web, if you go across sites, you just see reusable parts all over the place. But in general, even with all the frameworks out there, people will kind of rewrite them from scratch. And so we sort of wanted a world where you could have a, a collection of Tinker Toy components and then a framework that you could use to then bind them together. And, you know, this kind of fast, eventually consistent data bus backing the whole thing. And so they don't necessarily have to be UI components. That's kind of sometimes a misnomer. They could just be server side things like, uh, you know, you would say your AI agent that's doing interesting stuff, even a spell checker as a component. But a lot of the ones that you as a user would see would be very kind of visually oriented. And so, yeah, you'd get the kind of your traditional UI component there too. Okay. And, and obviously, Fluid Framework is more than just UI, right? And so, I, I will put a link in the show notes to the architecture documentation that Microsoft has published. But it starts out by talking about data structures. So, can you give us a, a the, the geeky uh, explanation of what are these data structures for and why would I use them? Yeah, I mean, the data structure is just trying to make just a really easy to use system, right? And so what's easier to use than just kind of handing developers kind of the things that they'd expect from kind of the the BCL, the base class libraries of their, their language of choice. And so maps and strings and sequences and these kind of these base building blocks. And so, you know, one of these kind of goals with Fluid is to build this layered programming model. And so what do we mean by layered programming model? Well, we want, we want everybody in the world to kind of be a developer, no matter how much or little coding they have. And you kind of see this already today, right? You know, the people using Word, Excel, PowerPoint, you know, they're creating these brand new documents. In some ways, they're programming a new experience, but we want to give them more access to these kind of interactive things, make it accessible to them. And so, you know, for that type of user, they won't necessarily write code, but they want to be able to bind things together. And then at the very, very bottom of the of the stack, you have the people that are going to be talking on the network and doing these kind of eventually consistent algorithms and doing a bunch of hard distributed systems work. And you want them to be able to create components that kind of then layer up and up and up. And so you've got this spectrum from the very down in the, you know, on the raw metal up to the top user, and then people all in between kind of using what they can. And so with these distributed data structures, this was kind of trying to be this nice abstraction between the hard network principles and then uh, people being able to make use of them. So, you know, you as a user of the distributed data structures, you're never sending operations to the server. You're not dealing with merge conflicts. You just kind of have this thing that looks like a map or a string. And that's kind of where they came from. And then inside of them, we wanted it to be extensible. And so, you know, anybody could create a new one, you know, as they wanted. And so, we kind of think there's probably just a handful of these distributed data structures, you know, 10 or 20. I don't know how many there are today, six or seven. So there's still kind of more, but you can kind of see as new things come up, you might need a new one, right? So one of the first ones we built was just the map, a kind of a key value store. It's the simplest of them all. It has this really easy rule where if there's ever a conflict on who wrote to a key in a map, it's just the last one wins, right? And the last one wins is defined by this whole routing thing we do on the server. Uh, that one's very simple. And you can get really far with just a map, right? Like you can do a lot of stuff with a map. But soon enough, somebody's going to say, you know, hey, let's do Word on top of Fluid Framework. And you're like, absolutely. You're like, I can't do it with the map. And so then shows up this kind of the thing we call the sequence, right? And the sequence is harder. It's based on a thing called the merge tree. 
And the merge tree is kind of the real heavy lifting guts, right? And so, and that's kind of where a bunch of these eventual consistency consistency algorithms came from too. The first one is this, uh, you know, operational transform OT, you know, in the late 80s by Sun Ellis, um, you know, powers things like Google Docs and a bunch of other really great um, things out there. And it's just a very generic framework where you kind of have these operations coming in and there's an algebra defined on the operations where it says, if, if I do operation A and you do operation B, we say, hey, that A composed with the transformation on B should give me the exact same thing as B composed with the transformation on A, right? And so, you end up with this lattice structure when you're kind of doing it most generally and it's a very N squared problem. Now, you can define any operation you want. You can kind of do this stuff. Uh, and it's great. And the other ones are kind of these 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 kind of newer things, these CRDTs, these conflict-free replicated data types. Um, and they're kind of more specialized. So rather than having this generic algebra, they say, well, I know what data type I am and I'm going to have um, math logic such that uh, as these operations come in, I can guarantee things happen. And we looked at both and they 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 all have their strengths and weaknesses, like any engineering problem, right? But we said, you know, we, we think there's kind of an easier way to do it. And that kind of came out of this merge tree where we have this logarithmic structure that can, um, if it has a total order broadcast, then it can reorder the messages such that you have, you know, no merge conflicts on the string representation. And that's kind of the most complicated one. But it has other things in it too that are very novel for text processing that don't necessarily show up in the research papers of just, you know, how do you put markers in? How do you do formatting and style? How do they layer? All sorts of really cool stuff. So, those are kind of the two heavy hitters. We have things like the stream too, which is kind of just like an append-only log. It's really great for ink. And then, um, you know, for things like Excel, like matrices, those, those are the kind of things that start to have people say, hey, maybe we need a new distributed data structure. And so, uh, but there's a big cost in building one of these data structures. It's a lot easier to use it. And so, that's kind of where those things came from. Yes. Uh, and I agree. There's lots of complexity there. And I'm, thank- I'm thankful that y- you and the team have figured it out so I don't have to... <laughs> We try. <laughs> yes. And, and so, as you're talking through this and, and thinking through this distributed data, if I try to relate that to something that my end user would do, if I'm doing Google Docs or Word or, or whatever, I, at some point, I want to store this data. And so, the, I'm guessing the Fluid Framework handles, or the server, I guess, handles that persistence. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, that's right. We try to do, you know, the server is always trying to be as simple and lightweight as possible. Like, uh, we really want it to kind of do absolutely nothing to be as um, just simple and fast. And so, the client's kind of doing most of the heavy lifting. Like, the client is running all these distributed data structures. It's handling all the merge logic and the eventual consistency. And then it's also figuring out what exactly it wants to store. And so, the server is just kind of storing raw blobs. It never loads the file. It never figures out what's going on inside. It just stores uh, what you tell it to store. And so, in a lot of ways, I kind of like to think of it like um, it's almost like happens like a pull request. And so, uh, and you know, our my favorite type of storage for Fluid is Git. Uh, you know, which you know kind of is a nice analogy too. But really, what ends up happening is uh, you know one of the clients gets elected. And that's kind of through some of the magic of Fluid and these these distributed data structures. So, you know, you've got 10,000 people in a collaboration. We're going to elect one of them. We're going to say, hey, you're in charge of actually, um, you know, storing the document. And that person, you know, on some cadence is going to say, okay, perfect. It's going to look at it. It's going to have loaded the document. They have loaded the document anyway. They're participating in the collaboration. And then based on what changes, they're going to 
kind of submit a pull request to the server and say, hey, I want you to merge this sucker in. And so the server doesn't really read the pull request or anything, but it's going to say, okay, it's a pull request. It's cool. You've been the one we've been elected. And now when that message comes in to you know, merge it, great, I'll do it. I'll swap the ref pointer to point at your merge and then poof, you know, everything's in. And so kind of really neat system in terms of just you know the flexibility you, you kind of push to the edge. So all the kind of the, these edge devices have all the control of doing most of the heavy lifting in the server just kind of like uh, you know brokers this interaction and keeps and stays nice and simple, fast and cheap. Okay, so now if I if I'm a developer and I'm going to build a, a solution of some sort on top of this, then at some point this storage needs to be initialized, right? Does that that's it. That happens on a client somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's kind of different ways to um, initialize it. Uh, in the early days, what we do is, it, you know, it's kind of the interesting when we look at Fluid. There's all these kind of, I guess, analogies that I would draw as to like what's you know kind of happening on Fluid. And so, you know, the one thing is you you have this log of operations, and then uh, you know you don't want somebody to have to replay this entire log. It could get really big, right? Um, on load, and you want to do like virtualized loads and these other things where some of these messages you just don't even care about because you just want to load the first page and you don't care about what's happening on the last page. And so then you kind of load in this log, and then things happen, and then periodically, really, what storage ends up being is just consolidating that log for fast loads, right? Like the log is kind of the the truth that is happening. And then these the thing you're storing is just a, a performance thing to load faster. And so a lot of times when you're kind of starting a new fluid document, this, this kind of brokerage that's happening with the server you're talking to, and you're just saying, hey, I need a new log and I need a new place to store these consolidated logs, like let's go. And then off to the races you go. And so that's kind of how we, we started it off. And I know I think I think it's been flipped over in the code now, but now kind of the way is we said, okay, well, this was kind of a fun way to start from nothing. But normally, you don't just start from nothing. You say, no, no, I'm I'm trying to create this type of a document. I don't I don't need to start from an empty log. Me as a user, I'm going to like uh, load the document. I'm going to put in some initial stuff, and then when I'm ready, I will then upload it and let everybody else start participating in the collaboration, right? Like I'm kind of initialize it. Like, you know, if you and I are working, I'm going to send you the initialized thing first. I'm not going to send you nothingness and you're going to wait for me to initialize it, right? <laughs> uh, and so now kind of what happens is you you kind of start from the consolidated log, the snapshot, and then the ops start flowing is, is kind of what, what ends up happening there. So you kind of tell the server, hey, uh, here's the the initial state of the world and then we're going to start uh, collaborating from it. Okay, and so the I know that the 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 open source has the server and and typical client stuff, and so with the I guess the expectation is here. Well, I, I could either use what Microsoft gives me, or I could roll my own. Is what is what I, I'm assuming. So if I if I'm if I'm the host, then is it I can decide to have that storage and local storage or. Azure Blob or wherever I want? Is that kind of the idea there? Or is that really, I need to make sure my client has available storage, the first person to start it? Um, no, yeah, yeah. You, with the way kind of Fluid set up right now, yeah, there's, there's kind of always that server involved in the process somewhere, right? And so, you know, when we designed it, we, we knew from the beginning, we always wanted to open source. And we, so we made sure we put in a lot of hooks so people could extend it. Uh, and so it's kind of a very pluggable uh, service system where, you know, if you wanted to, you could kind of run it just about any way you you wanted to. And so there's kind of, yeah, but there wants to be some service somewhere that's uh, doing kind of two things on the server. One is the server's responsible for ordering these these messages, right? So it's creating a thing called a total order broadcast, which is really just a log and it's stamping sequence numbers on the log. It does a little bit more because not every message is guaranteed to make it. 
they have to follow some rules about being within this collaboration window. But if they do, life is good. And then as far as like where this log gets stored and how the log gets made, it's just all these little hooks in the code base for how it goes, right? And so, you know, those fun names like Alfred, Broadcaster, Deli, Routerlicious, they're really these little Lambda functions. So, you know, you can imagine we've done this, you know, running it in Azure Functions or AWS Lambda, and then they're just kind of plugging onto a bus. So that could be, you know, in memory or Kafka. Those are two that are kind of implemented, but you could do anything. Like we've run it on blockchains too, like Hyperledger Fabric, anything that kind of can give an ordering is great. And then for storage, yeah, like we like Git, but obviously we can write to SharePoint too. Um, you could write it to Azure Blobs or on disk. And so, uh, you know, that's kind of the cool part of, I guess, being open source is as we see the kind of community pick it up. We hope that we've had the hooks in place so that people can extend it. Because um, although we kind of have this kind of cloud first world where, yeah, you're kind of talking to a cloud service, you could do a thing where, you know, you in, it's not quite a peer-to-peer thing, but Somebody on their local machine says, hey, I'm going to be the server for this collaboration. I will store it locally, but I'm the, you know, the arbiter of ordering. And that's totally cool, too. You know, that's that's another way you could kind of set it up to run. But it, lots of flexibility. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and so now you mentioned before how at some point there's like a summary of all the past lo- transactions or past log entries. And so if I had a specific application in theory, I could... Instantiate a client, get that latest summary, and then export it or save as. Like for if I was creating a document, I could save it as a dot doc if I really wanted to, right? That's that's available to us. That's something I could do. Yeah, you could kind of you could always do an export format. You could kind of save as, right? Like it could go to kind of a a non live thing, but. Fluid's definitely kind of trying to live in a very web-first world where, you know, the URL is the document, right? Um, you know, I, certainly when I'm writing these kind of blog posts, you, you know, sometimes people say fluid applications or fluid documents. And it, I think it's that thing where you kind of see that the lines really kind of blur more and more between what's a document and what's an app and how you put things together, right? And so, you, know, you see lots of new things, especially as they add more and more interactivity to what a traditional document is. You can kind of say, well, what is the difference? I would say there probably isn't a difference, right? Like web pages are apps, apps are documents, you know, you can kind of squint your eyes and look at it both ways. And so, yeah, yeah I, I just, I guess I'm hung up on the, you know, if I have a group of end users collaborating on something, at the end of the day, they need to to put a file of it, you know, on a, on a PowerPoint. <laughs> and so at some point, it can't be a live document or, or, you know, three three levels up the hierarchy in the organization. That person's not going to load fluid. So I, I guess that's kind of where I'm trying to draw that balance about how how folks can, how developers can then make that work, which is, which is really cool. You know, I think, I think it's that with that, it's kind of always the. You know, it's, it's kind of always the web, right? And so it's it's kind of moving to that model where, yeah, you're you're not sharing necessarily a static thing like uh, you're sharing um, that live instance, right? And so, but the way kind of fluids get, you know, like we kind of talked about storage, like you know, we're kind of using Git for storage, but you know, it was a very kind of deliberate choice, right? Because you know, sometimes you're you're you might be collaborating on something, and you're like, no, 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 I, I don't want. I don't want to share the live thing. Like that's that's insane. That's crazy. Like, no, no I, I this is the final cut, and I'm worried that somebody's going to like do something after I finish it. I don't want to share that version. So, that's a really great thing about something like Git and these snapshots because you can actually just share uh, a URL to the snapshot. You can say, no, no, this is the point in time I want to share this to people. The other nice thing the fluid does is uh, I, I don't I don't think any of the the mainline product show this yet, but is the ability to support kind of a branch and merge too on the data. And so the other thing you can kind of do too is you can imagine like, okay, well, this is Final Cut. Let me actually fork the document right now, just like you would do on GitHub or Git, right? I'm, I want to save a copy 
This copy is just mine. I'm the only one who's going to edit it. It has a link back to the original document. Uh, but kind of the fun thing with Fluid can do too is it can track that history of what's the master document, what's the forked, the derived version. And should you really want, you can actually keep the two in sync. The algorithms are set up to kind of do this cross merge. And so it, it, it becomes tricky as to how do you present this to users that doesn't confuse them, right? But from a technical side, it definitely is supported where you kind of need things where you can imagine you get a document shared with you that either that person will never share with you <laughs> because they don't want to, or maybe you're going to write some things into that document that you don't want the other person to see, right? But you want it to stay live. And so kind of neat things where you could start commenting, editing it. And then as the parent document changes, those changes come in and merge too. So a lot of these things kind of happen because it's an online web, you know, cloud first service. It gets trickier when they're kind of flat files. Agreed. Agreed. And, and you being at an AI company, you could probably understand may, maybe I want a headless client that's running in the background, looking at what's coming in and augmenting it with information or, or you said spell checking or something and having a be able to, to fork or a, and then later merge those together. I can certainly see some tons of benefit in there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's where we, we always love just the speed, right? Of Fluid is, you know, you, it, the servers are not very expensive and they're doing kind of multi-million ops per second. You know, like I know they ran that, uh, the demo during, I think it was Build or Ignite with the um, this game. Everyone was playing it. It, it ran super well. There's like 10,000 people and wasn't even pushing the servers. But the way we always thought we would end up pushing the servers, yeah, you would run this fleet of bots who are headless clients. They can load the document. It's, it's all the web, you know, and then they're doing really cool bot stuff you know on your behalf but they're not like a one-off protocol they're they're just a regular old client who's collaborating with you right they'd show up in the presence bar that the you know the cool ai bot is here doing nice <laughs> yeah. things for you so yeah yeah lots of opportunity there i really like that now the other thing that struck me though when i first saw this is kind of kind of going going a little tangential but there's things like signal r or WebSockets that can do a similar looking thing on the web Right. And so why do you think folks would want to use fluid versus just one of these other real time communication formats? Yeah, I think it's just, um, you know, what you're kind of getting with fluid is the the state management. It's kind of distributed state and the storage like fluid in some ways is more of a database than just a communication technology, right? Like the communication pro signals are coming, you know, in it as part of making it happen, but it's it's really kind of a distributed state database, right? That lives on edge clients with a server component that kind of um, pieces it together. And so, you know, like inside of Fluid, like we use Socket.io for WebSockets, right? Because we want this real-time channel for sending the ops. Um, you know, you could use SignalR too, but, um, you know, we're TypeScript first people. And so, uh, you know, SignalR, you don't really run it on a <laughs> node service. Uh, but, but you know, you could, we could swap it in, right? Um, a lot of times it's really from the, the web developers who are trying to cut every little bite down of payload size. They're like, why are you using Socket.io? Like just switch to raw web sockets and we're like yeah we could do that too like you know there's a bunch of cool stuff socket.io gives us so it never did it but but it's uh, it's another one of those things where it's, it's very much pluggable right like yeah sure you could use web sockets signal r mqtt uh, you kind of whatever you want right and so i think but what fluid's going to give you over that is you know those things are just kind of going to relay the messages for a pub sub channel but there's not going to be that um, state backing it right like what is the state of the system? What's the state of the collaboration? How do I catch up? How do I merge in? All of that kind of stuff around it is what you're kind of getting with uh, with Fluid, yeah. Or with the Fluid data types, yeah. 
Right. So, so if I was doing some type of chat, and I needed to save the chat. Well, I can do a save thing plus a signal R thing or a WebSocket thing. Why don't I just use Fluid, which gives me both? Kind of. That, yeah, yeah. I know yeah, that's yeah, kind of simplifying yeah, no, it a that lot, that... but Paul Paul works at a higher level than the than a lot of these details. But the, am I on the right track that it's kind of what the thinking should be? I, I, the thing I always found with Fluid is, um, you know, because it is kind of these these documents, right? These Fluid documents. That's why the apps and documents. Like, it's really just the stored piece of state. And you know, a lot of the demos have always been very client uh, focused, right? Like text processors or, or you know, things that you would use as an end user. But Fluid's kind of a really cool write through cache at some level too. Where oh, I like that. <laughs> you know, like where on my local box, I'm just writing the state and it's immediately there, right? And then in the back of the Fluid CPU, like those those changes are working their way to the kind of the thing of record, right? Which is kind of the shared state that all of us are are working on. But my cache is active and ready to go immediately, right? Like that's what's makes it so fast. And so I think they're kind of use cases too. And then it, it's backed by this document, so I can come back and reload it, all this kind of stuff. But I think they're all, they're always kind of like neat server cases too that sometimes get you know that that haven't been touched on as much yet. Where you could say, shoot, this happens all the time. I'm building a web service and what do I do? I have my my Mongo database or whatever, my uh, SQL database in the back, but I don't want to hammer it. So I put a Redis cache in front of it. And now I've got this whole like headache of I'm saying, well, what if the the purge of the Redis cache fails, even though I've updated the database and now I got two things out of sync? Oh, darn, right? And so I was like, well, Fluid's kind of nice at this. I could say, well, each web service client just reads and writes from the Fluid cache. It's eventually consistent. I know it'll be correct. And then it handles actually storing it to the thing of record. It will do this in some eventually consistent manner. So there is a bit of drift, but shoot, it it took care of it for me. So that's kind of where I think it's this really neat write through cache where it has more uses than just in a kind of, uh, you know, web client only role. Yeah, yeah, right. The, 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 that backend scenario doesn't demo very well when people are looking at a screen, right? Because they have to see something. But, but yeah, I can no, certainly... It's not, it's, not a, it's not quite as cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah but I, what pops into my mind is if I have some type of long-running orchestration where maybe I want to show a status of, you know, the current state of it, I can imagine have the orchestration write to Fluid. And then if I want to give someone a, 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 a front end to look at the status... Then I can use it there. Boom, off I go. And eventually, the UI will catch up to the backend process and everything is great. So I like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's, 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 it's always one of those things too where, you know, when you have the eventual, when, when you kind of have these, these easy to use distributed data structures and this nice thing storing data, you know, it's one of those things where you're, you probably as an engineer, you, you, you come up to it and you're like, you know, I don't, I don't really need collaboration on this or like live updates. But I think sometimes fluid makes it so easy to just get them where you're 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 like, well, maybe if I could get it, that'd be great. Like I don't really have time to do the work myself. It's a lot of work, right? But gosh, if I have it, it's really easy. Then yeah, I might as well. Like I, I keep thinking all these kind of you know these traditional web pages where you're saving preferences or something like that. Where yeah, why wouldn't you just if it can just be collaborative from the beginning? Why not make it collaborative, right? Like I'm collaborating with myself. It's kind of cool, but why not? You know? Yeah. <laughs> You never know what's what's coming next, right? In this, uh, you know, who would have thought we'd be distributed as as vastly as we are at the end right. of 2020, right? So yeah, yeah. It, it certainly makes makes no, it yeah, no, it's totally true. Sense. So this is all fascinating, and I could probably ask you about scenarios forever, but I don't want to take up too much of your time. But so, well, what kind of well? So for two two questions. Um, how do folks? I found you on that blog. So if you could tell people how, where are you at in the social media and online that people might be able to follow you. Oh gosh, yeah. I guess I'm on I'm on Twitter at uh, what what is my Twitter? That's a great question. Yeah, just twitter.com slash Kurt Berglund, and then 
I guess I keep blogging on Medium, but I think Kurt Berglund too. <laughs> what's my Medium? Yeah. And, and so what's what's next for Kurt? Or what's Kurt? What kind of things is Kurt working on now? Any other great, wonderful, geeky stuff that we can chat about that you know you're percolating and going to spring on the world just like Fluid? Well, you know that's where uh, you know Fluid just gosh, Fluid's just been so amazing, and so yeah, I love seeing Fluid open sourced and going out there, and so and uh, and so I think that's great, and then. And then, yeah, I decided to do this crazy thing of try to learn AI and do AI. And so, about, yeah, and so we'll, we'll see we'll see what comes out of that. But so far, so far, so good. Hopefully, if I can do anything in AI is as nearly as cool as fluid, that'll be yeah, a good day. That's, but th- that's, there's a lot of work left to do. Well, thanks so much for taking the time out of your day to chat with us. I, I found it very helpful, and I think our listeners will as well. So thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you. For listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.M365DevPodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. 